Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Sip With Me. I'm your host, Ioana Kekados. And I'm your host, Aaron Carlson. We'll release an episode for you every Monday at 10.30 a.m. Central Time, which means you can listen to us during your commute, after work workout, or even enjoy a drink with us during your very own Monday night happy hour. And who doesn't like to have a little fun on a Monday night? Don't forget to download all of our recipes on sipwithme.org. And be sure to check out our mystery bartender, whip up all of our favorite drink recipes on our TikTok at sipwithme underscore. Hey guys, we're so excited to be bringing you our third official episode and recipe of the week. We've decided to make a mojito this week. And the mojito is a cool and crisp drink that surprises with every single sip. I like to describe the mojito as chewing on a really cold and refreshing piece of gum. The best gum that you've ever had because this is actually my favorite drink and was the first drink I ever ordered. And I ordered a non-alcoholic version called a nojito. And I got that at Disney World. And what a better place to have your first drink than Disney World. The mojito contains mint, lime, club soda, white rum, and ice cubes. And just like Ioana described, it is really refreshing. It's really great for a hot, humid summer day. And it has a little bit of minty spice that really makes it a unique flavor. Along with our drink of the week, we're going to be talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and the changes that are finally beginning to occur in our society. So grab your mojito and let's dive into exploring the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that has occurred in 2020. So to begin this week's episode, we want to be really transparent and open and honest about our emotions around talking about Black Lives Matter, because that is really a large part of what has happened in 2020, is you have a lot of people that have been brought into the conversation about the movement and about racial injustice and inequity in the United States. And a large part of what is new in 2020 is that people are beginning to talk about their emotions and opinions, and especially white people. And we want to be open, since this is all audio, that Iwana and I are both white, so we have never lived any of these experiences. We cannot empathize with um, what is happening to Black people in our country and what has been happening for decades and centuries. But we felt like talking about it on the podcast and sharing our thoughts and opinions and emotions and connecting you all to some articles and some resources is really important, especially for our white audience who maybe are for the first time beginning to have conversations about Black Lives Matter and about the issues of systemic racism that absolutely plague and devastate our country every day. Uh, And so uh, we wanted to begin by putting that out there that we are not um, experts. We, again, we don't have not personally lived this and we are not perfect when discussing this. So there could be mistakes in the language we use. There could be things that are not completely correct or politically correct, but um, we wanted to tackle it as best as we can and put in that effort because part of uh, our duty and your duty as uh, possibly a white listener is to be active and to be engaged and to do some of the heavy lifting that we have made black people do for decades as they fight for um, continued formal and informal uh, equality and uh, you know, civil liberties and, and equal rights every single day. And so I wanted to start by just talking briefly about the history of the Black Lives Matter movement, or hashtag BLM, um, which is everywhere this year. The Black Lives Matter movement is a formal organized movement. It is not something that is just kind of out there. It's not just a hashtag. It's not just a phrase that gets thrown around on TV. It is an organized thing. So the BLM movement began in 2013. That's when it was formalized. Uh, Three black organizers actually um, came up with the idea, came up with the hashtag and um, 
really put energy and momentum into the movement and to the project after uh, the acquittal of George Zimmerman, who was the murderer of uh, Trayvon Martin. And so um, that's kind of when the movement began. Um, You had that and then other incidences, other murders uh, and other uh, conflicts that were occurring with police and uh, between white and black people and white and black communities And they really saw that there was this need to center Black voices, center the Black experience, and create a way for people to come together who wanted to, you know, put themselves and all of their energy behind the movement. And so uh, that's really when it it kind of really blew up. Uh, Now, today, they have more than 40 chapters throughout the United States. I know we have one here in Chicago. We might have multiple um, but, uh, they've really grown a lot over the last, uh, what is it? Seven or eight years now, almost. And they've really done a lot of advocacy work, a lot of messaging and a lot of organizing, especially at the local level. Um, that's really kind of how they take root. They have these chapters and then they really kind of connect people to other people and to resources, kind of what we're trying to do even just a little bit today um, so that there is a platform for people to uh, jump on and, and help in an organized manner. Um, what's really interesting is that they are especially focused on um, trying to bring attention to the experience of um, Black women and Black trans women who um, can face especially uh, horrific um, discrimination and uh, poor treatment, mistreatment, even um, the amount of violence that takes place against Black women and Black trans women um, compared to others in the Black community is is much, uh, it, it's, it's a lot greater and um, there's a lot more force behind it in terms of how often and how, how devastating it is. And so it's really good that they bring attention to that because it is something that, especially in the mainstream media and in white communities, people that talk about BLM and talk about inequity and injustice, it's something that can fall through the cracks um, because it, it does take a, a, a deeper approach and a more aware and educated uh, person about the movement and about the black community to to have a conversation about it and to ultimately um, make progress on that front. And so uh, they've been doing a lot of really good work, bringing a lot of attention to the issues we have. And especially in the last year or two, and especially under um, the Trump administration, um, things really have picked up. And now you have um, this national movement that has kind of um, brought a resurgence to Black Lives Matter Um, and to the defund the police movement um, and conversations about police, about schooling, about health care, about child care, education, if I didn't mention that. All of these different arenas of life that we as white people take for granted as being safe, as being funded, as being staffed, as being accessible. Um, Those are all things that are systemically and purposefully over the centuries as America um, has grown and has been built on the, the the backs of black people and of mistreatment of minorities and on slavery. Um, it, it's something that needs to be addressed and it needs to be forced to be at the front of people's minds and it needs to be at the dinner table every night, especially in white homes. Um, and that's what's really different about this 2020 movement is that the narrative has switched among corporations, among white people, among small town, rural America. Um, people are waking up and are realizing the reality of what America really is and what people of color face in this country every day. And uh, that's really what I want to bring attention to for my piece. And so to do that, I found an article from NPR Um, which is titled, appropriately, Why Now White People? And what they tried to do was really kind of dissect why 2020 is a different moment for a lot of white people that never had these conversations before, never posted about it, never donated, never volunteered their time. Why are people actually showing up who didn't show up before? There's a couple of really interesting reasons. And Ioana, 
you will probably um, not be shocked at some of these. Um, the first one is that the people that were surveyed for the article, almost everyone mentions um, President Donald Trump as being um, part of the reason, whether it is their awareness of the divide and the conflict that exists, or whether it is you know, just the sour taste they have in their mouth from um, the language that gets used and how our government and our economic system is being used to mistreat Black people. Um, they say that President Trump has kind of been a, you know, a human form of that, and that because of that, they can see it more clearly, or maybe they see it and they hadn't seen it before. So that was something that was very interesting. The other big one that I never thought about, but really kind of makes sense um, and kind of ties into last week's episode about the long-term impacts of COVID mm -hmm. is that the, uh, and this is white people uh, specifically, white people identified that the pandemic disrupting their normal routine and threatening their personal health and safety actually made them I guess, sympathize with the BLM movement more and that Interesting. because their routines were so disrupted. And when I say routine, I don't mean brushing your teeth in the morning, making your coffee, <laughs> driving to work. I mean, hustling and bustling to, um, you know, do work for major corporations, um, their routine of going out and, you know, engaging in our capitalist system of buying goods and services um, all those different things that they do seamlessly and that they never have to think about because of um, all the different forms of privilege that they have. Yep. You know, all of that that kind of sustains that like blind eye mentality or like, you know, look the other way, that all kind of stopped. And everyone's sitting at home and really engaging in a much more cleansed way with what's happening in the world. And so now you have BLM that is not only is it all over the news, not only is it on TV, not only are cultural icons, celebrities, politicians, you know, bringing attention to it and talking about it for prolonged periods of time. I mean, people are now in their communities, other white people, black people, teachers, doctors, people at the grocery store. It's something that you you see now everywhere. And because people's routine was disrupted and they also uh, have been in a heightened state of paying attention to not only their health and safety, but everyone around them in their community, they say that they can, you know, kind of see it more clearly, identify with it and actually understand, you know, this is something that I want to think about and talk about and maybe use some of my time to advocate for. And so that was really interesting. Um, yeah. You know, the, the idea that we have all these distractions in front of us as white people, whether that's our jobs, our vacations, the all the, the stuff that we buy, all of the media we consume, and that, you know, the lockdown and COVID really kind of took away those distractions. And it really makes you think, you know, what are, you know, we have, there, the, what we have is, is good. We have a lot of good, you know, we are a great country, we have a great economy, all that stuff. We have a great government, we have democracy, but also we have so many things that are mm -hmm. fronts and that can distract and that are have, you know, injustice and, and racial inequity built into them as yeah. larger systems. And so it's it's certainly something to think about, you know, how net positive are these different things that we have and, you know, where I do we go from here in terms of participating and having a discussion and advocating. I completely agree. And I don't know if you feel this way, um, not to kind of say, you know, obviously this pandemic is horrific and all these people that died, it's, it's awful. Um, and I would never, you know, wish this upon any country or anyone or, you know, I'm not saying that this is a good thing, but I think that if it wasn't for the pandemic, at least I don't feel things would really have been um, tackled, like these issues that we weren't really talking about and kind of ignoring as a society. Um, it's exactly what you said, you know, like we had, we experienced for once in a life, a moment where we can't have all these privileged things that we don't even realize are privileged because we're just used to it, you know? 
going yes. out, feeling safe, being able to just walk around freely, going to the store, going out, whatever. Like we've never had a moment in time, at least in our lifetime, where we've kind of stopped other than 9-11, but that didn't really personally impact like Chicago as much. We didn't really pause as much as like yeah. obviously in New York. Um, I just feel like it really, I'm not saying it's positive, but I think that we've tried to take an opportunity that has been pretty negative and try to at least make some social change um, in what's been going on because it's not okay. Everyone should be treated equal. And unfortunately they're not in this country, which is very frustrating. Yeah. And I think the pandemic, again, something I didn't realize, and even I didn't even realize yesterday, not yesterday, last week in our episode. And when I was doing the research for the episode is that COVID really did at a, you know, this kind of weird timing, I guess I would say, create an, an, an empty place for Black Lives Matter and police reform to, you know, kind of enter that space. Mm-hmm. You know, we as white people and as a country, we don't create the space for these conversations for this reform and for the advocacy and real change to take place. You know, we, we fill all of the spaces. We fill all of, we fill TV, we fill our boardrooms, we fill our police departments with the stuff that is not going to create change and with people that aren't going to create change. And I think what this pandemic did in a large sense was to create this void that allowed for the movement to come in and fill it. And while it's a shame that it took a pandemic for that Mm -hmm. to happen, there will be positive impacts of this because we have, and I can unequivocally say this, we have seen a a new chapter in this country. Yeah. Whether or not we see as much progress as needs to take place right now, And in the short term, and as we come out of the pandemic, we have made room for this movement and for this topic. And I don't think it's going to go away. And it's going to take a lot of momentum and a lot of energy and a lot of people that continue to push not only for the rest of this year, but for years and decades to come. It'll take continued momentum and people sacrificing their time, their energy, their jobs, their friendships to really stand up for what needs to take place. And I I think that the pandemic, you know, however the universe decides to align itself, this timing was, was right and it Mm -hmm. worked and it's here and we have a duty to make sure that we keep talking about it and to keep donating and volunteering and protesting and demanding change from local politicians and local leaders and from our police departments and to really rid our country and rid the systems of, you know, the systemic racism that is, that plagues them. And I think there are some systems that are going to need to be completely taken down and destroyed and rebuilt because you can only push for reform and small changes for so many years and decades before you go, this isn't going to work. There's too much resistance to change and we need to build a new system. I'm not going to say what those should be because I'm not educated or informed enough on any one specific area to say what needs to change versus what needs to, you know, completely restart. But I think there are columns in our society that are going to, that are going to need to collapse and crumble before, you know, real change starts to take place. Um, And I think that's what's happening right now with discussion around police reform and funding of the police, Um, you know, regardless of what personal opinions are. My personal opinion is that funding needs to be decreased from the police and increased police presence is not the answer to solving crime and to reducing crime. There's absolutely no evidence that. Uh, increasing police presence or increasing the the weapon power or how militarized the police are, there's no evidence that it is more effective or that it reduces crime. And I think that police really are, uh, they're a defensive 
mechanism in that most of the time they are the ones that are responding after crime happens, you know, or they're mm-hmm. responding when a crime is happening and you need help. And I think that on the offense and being proactive as a society, which we often don't do, um, the right thing would be to have more access to social services, wellness services, counseling, better education, um, all those different types of things. That's what's going to build communities and build lifestyles that keep people out of crime or direct people away from crime or away from, you know, getting trapped in a negative cycle. That's what's going to steer them away from it before they even get into it. So the idea that that police are there to solve all the problems and to keep people safe, that, that is true, but it's only true to an extent. So um, I agree. Yeah, it's a really complex issue. And, you know, again, we are not educated on this enough or involved enough or experienced enough to, you know, strongly advocate for one or the other. But listen, people, we can go with our gut. You can go with what you see. You can go with what you hear. And at the end of the day, you have to make your decision on what you believe and what you're going to advocate for off of that. And my gut tells me that something's not right and something needs to change. And where our funding is going, it needs to change. And and at the end of the day, that's what I'm I'm going to argue for. I agree. And I think, I don't know how you feel, but I think there will be continuous change. I really think this time, um, I think we have a lot of work to do. I don't think it's over. I don't think we should just stop now and say, oh, yeah, we did our part. You know, let's not still talk about it and take action um, to solve this this ongoing issue that's been happening in our society for years and no one's really talked about. Um, but I, I do see like the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I think that we're going to come out of this pandemic. I'm very hopeful, um, in a changed society, I think our life is going to be completely different in a good way. Um, and I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm excited because I think it, we've been very night, not naive. I don't know what the word is, but we've been very, um, irresponsible. We've been very, um, kind of selfish and just really worried about ourselves and not really caring about other people or what's really going on because it didn't benefit us to do that. You know, it's hard to have these conversations, but it's important because people's lives are impacted. People are killed. People aren't treated fairly. Um, so I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing a, a better United States and a, and hopefully a, a more positive um, society when we come out of the pandemic. I don't know if I'm just being naive, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah, no, I, I think you're completely right that white people, not all white people, but very heavy, vast majority of white people have been absolutely selfish and reckless in not paying attention to, you know, the reality of mm-hmm. the lived experiences of people of con- people of color in this country, myself included. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to, it, one, it's hard to acknowledge that and own up to it because you're basically saying that you failed and that you've done something wrong. And we have, I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard to not get defensive. Uh, that's what I've seen. Um, and after I studied um, this in grad school, it's hard for white people to not get defensive at first, especially if they've never engaged in any sort of discussion around this topic and have never, you know, seen it in real life and, you know, experienced it through other people. And, you know, we all have those like white friends or, you know, our parents that go, well, you know, I have, I have a black friend, so I'm not racist or like, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. And if I could say anything to like that and that mindset, it's that you have to understand and we all have to understand that most of us will never be able to empathize even a teeny tiny bit with what a lot of black people and people of color go through in this country every day and what they, they live through and what their Mm -hmm. realities are with housing and education and police and 
just being able to walk outside of their home and not every second of every day have to wonder, is somebody going to pull up in a car right now and shoot me? Or is is my six-year-old son going to go out in the front yard and is going to get shot and killed today? Like, that is a lived reality of so many people in this country. And we will never be able to empathize with that or understand what that feels like. But, again, what the pandemic has done is in a 0.001% kind of way, have shown white people, especially wealthier, privileged white people in all of our suburbs in this country that just live on autopilot every day and never have to worry about anything. Right. It has shown them a little fraction of, you know, kind of what it feels like to have to always be in a heightened state, having to always be aware of who's around you. What are you touching? What are you saying? What are you doing? Where are you walking? And I think that's why this space for BLM has, you know, kind of infiltrated a lot of our white communities is because of that. And so for that, like you said, I am hopeful. I do have hope. And I know we are going to come out of this pandemic a little bit stronger and more aware, certainly. I'm hesitant to say that I'm very excited or that I'm happy with the direction we're going because it takes so much energy and momentum to keep something like this going. And as we come out of the pandemic, we will slowly all go back to that routine that we talked mm-hmm. about yeah. and to having distractions again. And it will be very easy and it will happen to the majority of people, especially white people, that this will go way, way, you know, this will be number 26 on their to-do list. Right. And it will lose a lot of the momentum behind it. And as white people, we have to continue to show up because black people have been doing the heavy lifting and they have been educating us for way too long. We have to engage with the black community and you have to engage with black people around you uh, so that you are doing some of that work for them and you are putting in the effort and you are initiating. Um, far too often, it is black people asking for help black people taking charge um and having to you know make it their number one or number two priority and it needs to switch and we need white people that are on the front lines that are initiating and that are really becoming leaders that are true you know true actionable allies of our black communities and of our brown communities and that's the only way that we will solidify a, a movement towards a better future in this country. Um, and to do that, I mean, you have to engage. You have to engage with organizations. You have to support programs, support protests, post on social media. Use your body and use your time to go to protests and to have conversations with other white people and have conversations with black friends, black family. Um, Those are the only ways that you can get, you know, plugged in and, you know, start to give momentum to the movement. You have to use your body and you have to use your time and your energy. That's the only way that it's going to grow. And everyone, I mean, everyone has a platform, regardless if it's on social, it's the people, you know, it's your friends, it's your family, like use your voice, use whatever platform you have, whatever audience you have to speak about this, inform people um, and try to get people to understand why this is so important um, and why there needs to be change. And I think just support your community. I mean, like support programs, support organizations. Um, you shouldn't just be posting. I've, I noticed this um, And it's, yes, it is hard with everything going on um, to continuously post, but we do need to make an effort to at least try to um, create change. And so I've noticed, you know, people were very on board, at least people I was following, you know, posting things initially at the initial protest. But I have seen already, and it's exactly what you said, um, you know, once we go back to kind of what the normal is, distractions get in the way, it's not their top priority. But I've seen kind of people, you know, forget Um, So don't forget, do your part, support, donate, help people, speak, inform people, do your part to make sure that other people are educated and know um, what's going on and, and hopefully we can make a change.
And one of the biggest ways to help is to, again, show up with your body and show up with your dollars. So money is one of the, the biggest, you know, weapons for good or bad that we have in this country. And that is a discussion for another episode. But use your money and put your dollars where your mouth is. Donate to organizations that are doing this work. Donate to bail funds, progressive advocacy organizations. Volunteer your time. You know, you have to do that. You have to do that to show up and prove that you are really behind this movement because it takes a lot of capital and a lot of resources to drive the people that are doing the hard work and that are, you know, keeping these things alive and moving. And, you know, also we have to remember that we have to, especially right now, as so many small and medium-sized businesses are just absolutely in turmoil during the shutdowns and during COVID, we have to remember that we really have to emphasize supporting Black-owned businesses And Ioana, I know you have done some research. You've talked to some people in the Chicago community. Um, What did you find? And do you have any recommendations or any businesses that you can share um, that you would recommend people go out and, you know, support? Yeah, so um, I did some research um, and I was actually really happy to find a few places that I already have been going to um, and have already loved that I found out were Black-owned businesses. Um, But before I kind of dive into the local and kind of national companies um, or just small businesses, um, I kind of want to shine a light on a resource that I think is super helpful um, if you live in Chicago. I didn't even know this database existed. Um, It's called BlackOwnedChicago.com. It's a website that helps you find and support local Black-owned businesses. Um, I'm not sure if there are other websites like this for other cities, but I'm sure um, there are probably similar websites, Uh, but it is extremely helpful if you feel like you don't know where to start. Um, It's very, very helpful. It allows you to search um, by category. So if you're looking for a salon, clothing, restaurants, it gives you so many options of a wide variety of businesses in Chicago um, that you can support that are Black-owned. And it's pretty amazing. And I think everyone should know about it. At least check it out and try to support a local business. Um, so I'm going to start with local Chicago businesses. And this is honestly one of my favorites. It's a restaurant. Um, and I had no idea that it was even on the list of Black-owned businesses in Chicago. And I'm so happy. Um, it's called Batter and Berries. It's a restaurant in Chicago. Um, and it is the best breakfast in Chicago. Um, it's very well known. There's always a huge line, really hard to get in on the weekends. Now with COVID, obviously things are a little different, um, but it is always busy. Um, They're known for their world famous French toast flight. And Uh, I don't know about you, Aaron, but I love French toast or anything breakfast all the time. Um, And it's, really amazing. They've done a really good job um, of creating a restaurant that is vibrant um, and has super fresh food um, that really has people coming back over and over again. Um, And not just in Chicago. I mean, people come out of state to come to this restaurant. Um, So just kind of some background. Um, It was established in 2012 um, by Dr. Tanya. Tanya. I'm so bad with names and just basic like regular names. Because I'm Greek, so bear with me. Um, Dr. Tanya and Craig Richardson. Um, and they had a desire to add an eclectic world-class restaurant to the vibrant Chicago brunch scene. And that's honestly exactly what they did. Um, they've always been supporters of community and local businesses. And so they decided to create this local brunch place um, that really has taken off. They have a great chef. Um, Again, I cannot recommend their waffles. I don't know about you, but I also love waffles. Um, So if you're in Chicago, I know now with COVID, they did stop indoor dining, but there's outdoor dining and you can Uber Eats or Grubhub um, food 
to you if you're in the city. Um, and if you're not in the city, but you're in the surrounding suburbs, you can always drive into the city and pick up for carryout. Um, but they have the best breakfast. And I am so glad and so happy to be promoting a business like this because it is literally my favorite place to eat breakfast and always has been. Um, a second place that I found, if you know me, so just some context, if you know me, I love to get a blowout once a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have an addiction. Um, it's kind of like my guilty pleasure um, and guilty pleasure. Yeah. And I, um, I haven't with COVID. It's been about, I don't know, since March, however many months that is. So that's a long time. Um, but I usually visit a blowout place once a week and there's a place called and blow dry. Um, it's a premier beauty bar in Chicago South Loop. Um, they offer quick blowouts, styles, trims, cuts, sew-ins, braiding services, everything from nail services, waxing, eyelash extensions, basically everything you could ever need in one place, which is exactly what I need. I definitely need eyelash extensions, a manicure. Um, and they just do a really good job of um, making sure that you feel comfortable and they have really great staff. Um, with premium products, which is super, super important. Um, and it's just another great business to support. I, I know I spend probably $50 a week on a blowout, which is a lot. Um, but at least I know if I support a local black business that at least my money is going towards a place that I want to support and feel comfortable. Again, just kind of a side note, um, all these links and kind of bios for every single place I'm going to be talking about is on our website and it's linked under our article for episode three, just so you know, cause I feel like I'm kind of going quickly through them. Um, but a, another place I want to highlight in Chicago is called Bronzeville Boutique. Um, it's located in Bronzeville. And I love this boutique. First of all, I, if you know me, again, I, other than a blowout, I love fashion. Um, and they have such beautiful clothing. It's affordable. Um, it's vibrant. It's fun. It's trendy. But it's also pieces that you can definitely have in your wardrobe um, forever. And I love the fact that not only is it a black owned business, but they are size inclusive. So they have sizes from an extra small to three X, which is really hard to find in most retail stores. Um, most retail stores, unfortunately, do not include all sizes. Yeah. So the fact that they are inclusive um, is amazing. And I love this. I also saw an owner or a video of the owner on Facebook and she was so cute and fabulous. And her outfit was so beautiful. So if you ever get the chance, they have a website as well if you're not in the Chicago area. So you can always order online, but I definitely recommend them. And then I also just kind of want to highlight, if you're not in Chicago, um, just some shops that are online that you can purchase things from. And so I don't know about you, Erin, but I'm a huge Etsy lover. Um, I love supporting, yeah, like I love supporting local um, U.S. businesses and Etsy has so many cool things. I can spend hours on Etsy um, and you're supporting, supporting local small businesses and that's huge. Um, you're, you're supporting individual creators and I love that. So what Etsy does, which is really, really great is they have, they now have a page where they highlight all black owned businesses on Etsy. And so I kind of took a look through some businesses. And again, these are things that I personally would buy. Um, so these are things that I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about. Um, so one company is called Brown Butter Beauty. Um, and it is so beautiful. I mean, their shop is amazing. They have the best products. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm huge into skincare. Um, I also love makeup. As you can probably tell by everything I'm, I'm talking <laughs> about today. Um, I have a shopping problem. So um, they do a really, really good job of using natural ingredients, um, which is a big issue in a lot of companies is that they don't um, use organic and natural in ingredients in skincare, which is actually really bad. Um, but just some background on this company. Um, it was created by Christine Gant, um, and she wanted to create a small batch beauty lifestyle brand um, that would promote products that are, um, again, plant-based. And so she is based in Brooklyn, which is great. It's a local, not local here, but local New York um, company. And she was inspired by her deeply rooted love of nature and plant life. So she uses natural oils, roots, clays, botanicals, essential oils, and safe fragrances um, to create unique products with a spa feel. And I think it's so important to highlight again, 
She uses clean products, which is really hard to find in a lot of our mainstream products that you can find at Walgreens or Target. Um, Unfortunately, they're most likely filled with fragrances and things that can clog your pores and just actually do damage to your skin rather than help you. Um, And so she is also a full-time photographer, which was really cool to see. That's kind of how she started her company. Um, She was working full-time as a photographer, and then she started creating these products and sharing them with her family and friends, and then started to sell them. And in 2007, she started selling online and received so much feedback that she decided to expand her product line. Um, Her goal is to create natural clean formulations, and she has very specific guidelines, which I love, that um, carefully limits the amounts and manner in which fragrances are used in her products. Hmm. Again, fragrance really is not great for sensitive skin. It's pretty unnecessary in product. So it's great to see someone who's taking her passion um, and making clean, good products for people rather than just selling a product that, you know, can make a company money, but it's not really good for you. So I definitely recommend checking her out. It's amazing. She has a great website. Um, Another company that I'm actually like obsessed with, I also love earrings. Um, (laughs) I just love everything. Um, But this company is beautiful. So it's called um, 1156 East, which I love that. It's based in Louisiana. Um, And the name 1156 East actually started um, for the person who owns this um, company. It started in a place of where her passion and creativity were born. So um, it's it's an address and it's dedicated to her grandmother who um, fueled her passion, which I love. Um, And she creates handcrafted wearable art statement earrings. And I love earrings. If you know me, you know, I always wear like fun, crazy earrings Yeah, you do all the time, like on Halloween. Yeah, like really big on Halloween. I wear skeleton ones, Um, but I like it's kind of hard finding really good handcrafted jewelry I have found in the U.S. And so her brand is amazing. If you get a chance, it's 1156East.com. It's linked in our article. Um, It is amazing. And the fact that every single one is handcrafted is awesome. Also, it's very affordable. I don't know about you, but I have found that statement earrings can be 50 to $100, which is a lot for one pair of earrings, especially when it's costume jewelry. Um, So you don't want to invest that much money into it. But she has earrings from $15, you know, up to 50. But she has, you know, pretty reasonable priced um, pieces. And for the work that she does, it's amazing. I would consider her brand even better than Bobble Bar, which is a pretty mainstream um, mm-hmm. jewelry company that I've bought earrings from. Um, and if you get the chance, check it out. Even if you don't buy anything, just look at it. It's beautiful. Her website is so well done. Um, I really, really love it. And then um, the last company I want to highlight from Etsy um, is called, I think it's called Monchi. I don't know if I'm saying it wrong. It's M-O-N-C-H-I. I don't know how you would pronounce that, Aaron. I'm not even going to try. Yeah, it's a beautiful word. Just I can't pronounce it because I can't pronounce anything. Um, But it is an illustrator and animator. And she has such a cool website and Instagram. She makes like pop art. um, And it's it's really amazing. I mean, the colors, her like actual skill in in um, in animating. It's it's exquisite. The details that she puts in every single picture I honestly don't even know how she does this. I could not even get started on this. I wouldn't even know where to start. But I'm a huge horoscope person. Um, I just think it's really fun. And she has like a whole series on every single horoscope. That is one I definitely recommend you check out. Um, But she is awesome. And you can get her actual pop art on cards um, and pins or just different things. You can also um, get her like digital copies. I just think it's really, really cute and fun. Um, And the fact that every single um, person that she um, draws in her her pop art um, is black, I think is great. She's also black. And I think it's great that she's highlighting – people that aren't always highlighted in our community, especially within pop art. Um, I've never seen anything like this and it is so awesome. She even has a girl twerking and I think it's like the cutest thing ever. She's like twerking in a mask and I love it. It's like quarantining 2020 and I think it's so accurate. It's amazing. So 
if you get a chance to kind of check out any of these businesses, I really recommend supporting them or at least just taking a look. Um, there are so many more businesses and companies. I literally didn't even know where to start. These, again, are just a handful of my and things that I would buy. Um, but again, it doesn't mean that there aren't companies or businesses that are black owned that have products that you want as well. Um, so just do your research. And there are there are so many websites with information out there. I mean, the internet is huge. So take the time, look up companies, do your research and support your local black owned businesses. We'd love to hear from you guys as well. So if you have any favorite black owned businesses, whether they're local to Chicago or worldwide or even in our country, um, just drop us a message via our website or Instagram. We definitely want to share and support other black owned businesses. Um, so we are so excited for that and even more excited for our rapid fire segment. Uh, we end every single episode with five rapid fire questions so you can get to know us even more through every single episode. Yeah. And Iwana, would you like to go first this week? I am nervous, but I will go first. Okay. Well, then here we go. Okay. Three, oh, no. two, one. What's something you've learned about yourself during the pandemic? Oh, wow. Um, that I actually don't mind being alone. Um, I was living alone in Chicago. Uh, self-isolating for like four weeks. Um, and I actually really enjoy taking time by myself to just do whatever I want and just, yeah, hang out. I don't know. That is very healthy. And I like that answer. Thanks. How did you and your partner meet? Crazy. So, um, I'm going to tell you the real story. We don't have an alternate story. I tried to convince him to create a different story, but oh, we God. met on Instagram. <laughs> um, it's pretty crazy because my picture that I had posted a selfie of me in Greece and I tagged a location of the island where my dad's from, but I was living in New York at the time, um, popped up on his following or not following page, his like discover page. And it was posted three weeks prior to it popping up on his Discover page, which is very weird. And I really think it's fate. Um, and he liked my picture. And then I didn't know who he was, but I saw he was Greek and cute. So I followed him, hoping he would follow me back. And he did. And then he sent me a DM. And then we went on our first date. And we haven't stopped talking since, which is very Wow. Crazy. It's literally like a movie. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Oh, my gosh. Three, what is your Dunkin' Donuts order? Um, so my Dunkin' Don Donuts, whoa, that was weird. Dunkin' Donuts order. You haven't now, been to Dunkin' a long time. So, I really yeah. haven't. I've been drinking Starbucks at home. That's a side note. But my Dunkin' Donuts order is a medium iced cappuccino with cream. Cream? No, not with cream. Oh my God, with sugar. Wow. <laughs> I'm I struggling. think you need some Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> I think right I now. I do too. I don't have enough coffee in my life, truly. And do you get any food items when you go? Yes. So I have an addiction to bagels. I've had this addiction since I was 14. I've had a bagel every day of my life, unless there was a pandemic, uh, the polar vortex in Chicago, or I was in Greece and we didn't have bagels. But other than that, I continuously have a bagel, plain bagel. I've now upped my game and add a little butter to it. It's changed my oh, life. <laughs> Something as simple as that. Yeah. And it's vegan butter. So it's it's a little bougie. It's fun. Um, and I, I think it's good for me. I think I have an addiction, though, because I was putting on, like, slabs of vegan butter. And oh my, my, boyfriend, my boyfriend was like, is that cheese? That's a lot. I'm like, no, that's vegan butter. So I've been uh, reeling that in and trying to limit my uh, vegan butter intake. But it's amazing. Wow. Wow, that was that was like multiple <laughs> questions in one. Yeah, sorry, sorry for that pressure. <laughs> no, it's all okay. right. If you could eat dinner with anybody in the world, who would it be? Wow. Um, can it be like okay, I'm gonna cheat because they cannot be deceased. Okay, perfect. So I'm gonna <laughs> cheat. Um, and I'm gonna say all of my friends and family. Um, so you, Nathan, Stuart, Hans, Tiffany, my family, because I haven't been able to see you guys. And I don't want to meet any celebrity or anything. I just want to be able to hug you guys um, and be able to sit down and have a glass of wine and dinner. And I'm really excited for that to happen next year when everything's over. 
Wow. I was for sure that you were going to say Oprah. I know. That yeah. is a much better answer. I you, love Oprah, but Oprah You have really grown to... throughout the pandemic. I know. It's all that alone time. It is. It just showed me who's important. And I love Oprah, and she's so important, but Oprah doesn't Speaking... do Aaron. Speaking of who okay. is important, last question. Okay. What is your favorite news channel? Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm going to be honest, um, which is a little difficult for me to be honest, but I grew up watching ABC local um, as well as um, network national. But um, so I do feel like ABC seven Chicago is my family. Um, and I'm really, really sad um, that Jerry passed away this yeah. week that was devastating i watching him as our meteorologist he was a ray of sunshine and just awesome so i'm super super sad as well as regis um just a really sad week in kind of journalism um but i would say abc7 but i worked at wgn and i never thought i would say this because i didn't grow up watching wgn i love wgn um yeah they I are think they fantastic. Do, yeah, they are a great team of people. They do a really good job of making sure that they're bringing in news that's accurate and fair. And now they're opening up WGN. Um, America is opening up News Nation. So that's another option for people to watch um, instead of CNN or Fox. Or if you want just another um, network to get information from, I think it's important to listen to all networks, even if they are bias i think it's important to see what people are saying um and just kind of get all your your information to then make your decision on your own um but definitely wgn they are rock stars and i love them yep i agree is that everything did i make everything i survived you have survived another week of rapid fire oh my god okay are you ready aaron because i'm nervous for you i'm ready (laughs) all right first question and this is kind of hard um oh, but <laughs> God. what city or state in the united states do you think should not be included on the map and why like just not like, okay, like, like like just not printed on the map or like which state should be like non-existent non-existent and i don't mean we should just like kill people i'm just saying like which do you think <laughs> probably has is the most problematic or you just don't understand or just don't like. Okay. Oh, that's a good question. Did you come up with that? I mean, I did Google it, but I, I <laughs> wanted to ask it. Interesting. Myself. You know, oh, no. I don't want to offend anyone or make anyone mad. No, no. But I, oh, it's really hard. You know, I'm going to have to go with Alabama. Um, there's just a lot of, I mean, and tying it into this week's episode, it is one of the most systemically, disgustingly racist, bigoted, hateful states that exist. And I'm not talking about the people necessarily, but the the government and economic system in that state just it makes me feel nauseous thinking about it. So um, and I know they're never going to change no matter how much the country progresses into the future of where we want to go. So I would have to go with Alabama. Good answer. I've never been, so I don't. I don't know. I just, don't go. Yeah, don't go. I don't feel the need to. I was to afraid go. when I was there, um, and I will not be returning. Okay, I have felt that way in many states, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> which I will not name. But okay, uh, good answer. I accept, and we love it here. All right, number two. Are you ready? Yes. Which of the presidents was your favorite, and why? Hmm. Um, gosh, wow, <laughs> silent gap there. Sorry. Um, I know you're well, also... you know. Oh, sorry. Go. There's no, no. a lot of discussion around the presidents, especially those who lived, uh, you know, a long time ago mm-hmm. and what we've been taught about them in school, um, in the white narrative dominated school system we have. Um, you know, honestly, I'm gonna have to go with Obama. I mean, I think he was an effective leader. Um, I think he was positive. He was motivating. I think he did a lot of great things for the country, especially Obamacare. Um, And beyond that, he didn't really have any large scandals or, you Mm -hmm. know, didn't really have any big gaffes. 
I mean, I'm not going to discuss the current administration and the thousands of things that have happened. Um, but, you know, you have Bush, who, you know, made a lot of really bad mistakes. Clinton, who was just, you know, kind of a. Yep. Uh, I mean, we don't even need yeah, to talk we about don't, Bill. We just know. Uh, then you had Reagan, who, again, I yep. won't share my personal feelings. I don't want to get political, but, you know, vomit. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, just the list. It, there's been yeah. a lot that have had a lot of issues that don't get discussed. And I feel like Obama was a pretty honorable, um, pretty straightforward leader in terms of what he did. So I'd have to go with that. Love it. Great answer. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Um, what do you love about Nathan? Um, he is very genuine and authentic. Um, we both are always ourselves, no matter whether it's good or bad. We always know um, what we're getting. And I always know that he's going to stay on his brand and he's going to be, you know, grounded in morals and in a belief system. Um, and that makes me feel really safe and comfortable. He's also really funny. Uh, he's really fun to be around. Obviously, he's really hot. Oh, yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just like the way he makes me. He makes life a lot more enjoyable. Um, and, you know, we talk about it all the time, but like we'll be sitting in bed. You know, we always think really deep. You know, we think mm-hmm. about space and time and all it. those abstract concepts. But, you know, I, I bring up a lot, um, and you know this, I bring up a lot how short life is and how mm-hmm. fragile it is and how, you know, and Nathan said this to me one day and it blew my mind that we were not alive for billions of years, you know, if time is even a real thing, but, you know, we're here for, you know, 60 to a hundred years, if you're really, really, really lucky. And then after that, you're not going to live again for billions of years or possibly even eternity. Right. And how short that makes you realize life is and that, you know, as partners, we have to enjoy it every day and enjoy our time together. And, not let the little fights and things get in the way. So uh, I'm glad that. that we both kind of share that. I love Nathan too. And he's amazing. Oh, and if he's listening. I love Michael. Oh, look at us just loving our, our friends, partners. And oh my God. it's amazing. I do want to kind of just say that what Nathan said is so true. There's a saying in Greek um, and it's called life is a hole in the water. Basically, it's like nothing. It yeah. just disappears. Um, and then you're gone. And not to yeah. sound really depressing. But... I know. I always say that. Like, I, I'm not trying to be a pessimist or, like, make people get really sad. But especially, again, tying it to this week's episode, the yeah. amount of distractions that we have. I mean, there are some people that just, like, literally live as a robot and just do and do and consume and yep. never stop and think about, like, really what life means and it's crazy to me that some people i do that i mean everyone can do what they want with their life but whoa yep i agree so so next question kind of goes off the fact that nathan's a teacher um so if you could be a teacher aaron and teach one subject in school what would it be uh you know i i am and maybe not what I would teach, but I'm a total advocate for, especially in middle schools and high schools, we need classes. Okay, you know, forget science, math, language arts, all that stuff. Like, yeah, that's great. Like, it's part of our education system. Mm-hmm. We don't teach people how to adult and how to, like, live life and function in society. Like, we teach all these weird like science concepts and you know how to like add letter symbols together and find decimals and all that stuff. But we don't teach kids how to like pay bills, how to do taxes, how to think critically, how to like engage in discussions about diversity, like how to handle insurance, like all this stuff. Like, and then we just like throw them into the like, shark waters and say okay go out and get a job and be successful and blah 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 um so i think i would teach like a like life skills class uh, because i think it's it's a shame that we don't have that and that kids spend so much time in the classroom but they don't learn you know real hard skills that they need to survive in the world on their own i agree 
All right. Last and final question. It's kind of random. Um, so would you rather wake up to an air horn blowing in your ear every day or wake up and have to run four miles every day? Um, well, I already go for runs. So wow. That sounds you're taking them kind of four nice. miles, Aaron. Yeah, four miles that that's a lot. And I usually like to have my coffee and like wake up before I yeah. run. But I think I would go with that one. Uh, I admire you. I want to be you. To I, I would choose the air horn. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, loud noises just you know bug me. So, but like, wouldn't you get you get used to it after a while, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe you get desensitized to it. Yeah, sounds a little less painful to me than four miles. I can't walk four miles. Let well, I'll start. I'll start that tomorrow and and let yes, you know how let it us goes. know next week. <laughs> That's all my questions. You killed okay. it. Great. I'm excited. I survived another week. I know. Are you ready for next week? Um, actually, I have my document pulled up to write my questions because you always inspire me with your hard questions. So. Oh, my gosh. No, next you're... week, I'm really coming for you. Like, all right. I know I've been like, I've been a little bit of a letdown. Like, they've been like pretty no. easy. They've but next hard. week, you are going to have to walk on fire. Oh, no. I did. I mean, I keep messing up every week. So I think they're hard, Aaron. I don't think you need to make them harder. Thanks for listening to Sip With Me with Ioana and Aaron. If you like our show and want to know more, don't forget to check out our website, sipwithme.org. And if you love our podcast, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at sipwithme underscore. Join us next week when we explore the 2020 election, which is 100 days from now, and Iwana and I both provide our predictions. 